so I reiterate here, the bill is dead. The story of this great city is about the years before this night. What's up? This is Ho Ho Hong Kong. I'm Andy Curtin. I'm sitting here with Vivek Muhammad Magdi. Yes. No. <laughs> we're, doing the, we're doing the fusion version today. <laughs> he steals your name all the time, by the Neither way. Neither of those words are correct, but I'll take it. I, I'm sure you didn't catch this, but when we did the, the sex podcast, we yeah. did Sarah Tongue's Better in Bed podcast, he introduced himself as... Ma- as Vivek Mahabharata. <laughs> and she probably was like, you said your last name correctly, by the <laughs> yeah. way. The no. one time I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> you can be yourself today. <laughs> yeah. uh, where do people find you online, buddy? Uh, just check me out at Funny Vivek, sometimes letter M. You know, if they're taking my, my, my uh, username, then it's with the letter M without the letter, whatever. At Funny Vivek. I don't M. think anyone that's wanted to find you online had any trouble finding you. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty confident <laughs> no at this point. No like, where is he? Yeah, unless they completely mistype my name as Muhammad Magdi, then I'm like, yeah. I think I'd still get you. <laughs> I, don't, I think they could type Muhammad Magdi, yeah. Shanghai, yeah. and you'd still come up. Basically, like any typo, it results in me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, hit subscribe. Oh, by the way, I'm at Andy Curtin on everything. Hit, hit subscribe if you're enjoying the podcast. Um, and we also have a Facebook group now on, on uh, Facebook. That's usually where you have it, called Ho Ho Hong Kongers. You can check that out. And I am enjoying a pretty delicious coffee from Manor today. Mm-mm, with my mocha over here. It's, uh, of course, Hong Kong's original vegan coffee. Our phenomenal venue sponsor. Please go check out Manor because they're awesome. They uh, help us out a lot. And we have a Patreon account. Go to patreon.com, Pod. bonus yeah. episodes every Thursday, lots of fun content. If we get six more subscribers, we're upgrading a microphone. You'll notice today, actually, all our mics are going to sound just as good because we're all using the same black foam. Yeah, on the mics. Equally terrible. <laughs> yeah, you see the one pink one. The one pink guy's like, oh, why do I get this one today? So I gotta be, be care- I gotta be careful that the one time I did do it, someone pointed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now today's guest has been described as an urban vigilante for Hong Kong sustainability. He's a sustainability advisor at the Purpose Business. He's chair at the Living Islands Movement, which is a local group dedicated to the sustainable environment of Hong Kong's outlying outlying islands and he founded a consultancy helping companies achieve their sustainability goals and is a man who professes a love for bugs and trees dr marin pierce <laughs> wow that's an interesting person i'll have to meet him one day this guy, guy sounds yeah. great yeah. <laughs> always on paper glad we wrote that one well no thanks guys looking forward to the chat same same interests as me and everything i'm gonna hear what this guy's got to say <laughs> so sustainability we're going straight into it how do we keep doing what we're doing? Like, as a comedian, I have to sustain my momentum on stage, and that's real tough. <laughs> so, like, I'm like, I need some help. Like, when, I, when, I, when I'm losing the crowd, what do I do? Ooh. Well, sustainability in that respect, I think, is, um, is actually knowing when to take a time out. Oh, you know, okay. Take the hit, walk I, off, and go yeah. and reassess and go, Straight. that didn't work. You, you know what? I know. That's what I think sustainability is really about, is seeing when you go in the wrong direction and go, yeah. ooh. Which is not good. So yeah. I reckon sustainability in the environment is probably the opposite to comedy. Because in comedy, you need to stop recycling material <laughs> yeah, if you want to be yeah. sustainable. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> but Boom. recycling, in a way, is yeah. um, often Finding a confused a new term. Yeah, confused term. Because what we're really doing, in a way, is reusing that material, yeah. but just in a different color or shape or form. Yeah. And that's when you can make the impact rather than thinking that just putting it in the bin that didn't work and it's going to get recycled finding a new life for it yeah it's but it's 
planning for how you're going to transition. That's really the sustainability angle that I'm excited about. Is like when you know as soon as you've created something, it's got an end, a lifetime. Yeah. What happens to it at that stage? How do you then pull it apart, put it back together in a different way so it's useful? Don't have to throw it all away. You can just keep the parts that may be working or, or are still appropriate. Just use it again with a funny accent, right? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which accent? Yeah, not, I mean, no, not wasn't making fun of your accent. Of I mean, course you wouldn't. Be. We've never done that in our part of the world, have we? <laughs> that joke didn't land at all. Yeah. Now, talking about where you come from, you grew up on a dairy farm in New Zealand. Yep, that's that's where milk comes from a cow rather than one that comes from oats or other um, ground up wheat. <laughs> Yeah. Are you, where's, what's your stance on uh, consuming animal products? Are you, uh... Well, I was brought up on a, a small dairy farm. So besides having the cows there, you would take some leftover milk to the pigs that were underneath the trees. They're eating the plums that are dropping off the plum tree. And you got to know them. And then you said, okay, bye you're going to become dinner or the chicken type of thing. So I think anyone that does eat meat has, should have had the experience of having to take a life of another uh, creature. Just once. Yeah. Just to understand what someone is doing for them every day. Does it count if I've stomped on a cockroach? I've done those before. So, See, like, oh, I was mosquitoes thinking- are another challenge for me. It's like, yeah. you just kill them without thinking about them, really, yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. Other than, where are you? Bang. Gone. Uh, cockroaches. Do we want to get the cockroach story already? Uh-oh. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 no. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to, to that one. We'll come back to that. Because they are incredible, inspirational Animals. Oh, let's do it. I want to hear about it. Let's go okay. straight into it. It is from Sydney, so it is about being on a flat and was one of the few times I've lived uh, like the 11th floor of a building because I'm only a three-story flat here in Hong Kong, which is strange. Our audience can relate to living in a flat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can. And being 11 floors up. Yeah. And having cockroaches. And the fun thing was, turned off the light after I'd uh, gone out to sit down and have dinner and went, oh, hang on, I forgot dinner. Went back into the kitchen and there's cockroaches running across the table, and you're thinking, no way. Opened up the microwave, lift the plate out, which had been going for three minutes and was now steamy hot. Yeah. And here's this cockroach under the plate and just walks out of the microwave and off it, it goes and deal. goes, I didn't mean to test that. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> but the freaking things can quite happily oh, survive yeah. for three minutes in the microwave. And wow. you just go in. There's some benefits to these creatures. Maybe we need that protection where we're headed at the moment, talking sustainability. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. I would have thought, like, at this point, we probably have, like, a superhero called Cockroach Man, but I haven't seen that yet. Like, uh, Yeah, he was arrested under the NSL laws. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, I, I remember that one. <laughs> so how did you end up in Hong Kong? We actually Not the fun. obvious choice for a dairy farmer. No, uh, and... Uh, Basically, the earth moved for me in the end of uh, my high school years. Edgecombe, a little place in North Island, New Zealand. Had an earthquake. Corner of the farm dropped. Literally moved. Moved. 2.5 metres it dropped. Whoa. And so for people going, hang on, stand up, put your hand in the air, and that's about two metres. The farm? The ground dropped that much. And it's like, how do they measure that? What's going on? So I was studying accounting economics at that stage, last year of high school. And... uh, and these surveying guys went past and they were using the level type of thing. And I was like, huh, this looks interesting. But how far do you have to go for the know that it's dropped this and where's all that? So I got my maths mind going yeah. and I ended up uh, studying land surveying and did that in New Zealand. Ended up doing my PhD in Sydney 
And so that's when I got to learn about everything that's nasty, bitey and nippy and kills you, you might say, in Australian bush. And after working for the New Zealand government for a few years, I realised, as people listening to this, I'm, I'm comfortable talking. I struggle writing. And I was writing um, policy and guidelines for surveying industry. Yeah. Wanted out of that, tried a large engineering firm, realised there's restrictions of that, went into a small business, a moat, consulting back. It was through that personal development uh, program and that we end up with a franchise for Hong Kong and Macau from New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, of course you would say yes to that. My yeah. wife and two other folks had this business in Hong Kong. So after a year and a half of it operating it from New Zealand. Wait, uh, so she was already here doing it? No, nope, we're all in New Zealand and bought a franchise that was operating in Hong Kong and Macau. The other two people had never been to Macau That's or Hong insane. Kong. That's <laughs> insane. Looking back, that might be a good word to describe it. Yeah. Looking, <laughs> looking at it at the time, it's like, what could go wrong? Looking back, like, I'm always curious wow. about this. You know, I think when people make a move like that, and my experience has been they don't fully understand why they were making it. And then looking back, you know, did you feel that there's something drew you to Asia? Were you just trying to get out? Like, what, reviewing it now, what do you think was really the catalyst for that move? Um, yeah, com- combination of probably all of those things are going on. Yeah, the classic. New Zealand Aussie thing is you go to university and then you bugger off to UK for a few years and then you go back and get a job. Um, well, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to get a job straight out of university. So I was watching my other mates. You missed it. I missed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I missed it. And so my other mates are all heading off doing all this fun stuff and you've got a job. I can't complain too much because that job was flying around in helicopters and cool parts in New Zealand doing survey work with GPS equipment and stuff okay, like that. Right, yeah. So it's kind of like, that. okay, they might be on holiday in Abu Dhabi and then they've got a month on an oil rig somewhere doing nothing much, but they're getting a lot of money and you kind of get that. Then the opportunity came to kind of, well, actually, we can head off and consider this our OE. Let's uh, take that experience and we've got, we had eight months worth of money basically in the bank account. If it didn't work after that, we knew at month seven that it was time to start working out, plan to get back or Going find oil something rig, else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so that was the driver. Looking back at it, it's like, yeah, maybe learning some Cantonese would have been useful, especially when <laughs> team building area, <laughs> to kind of get the final, or having another language rather than English from New Zealand to explain concepts. And, and understand concepts. Yeah, and that was part of coming out. We'd, we'd been travelling a bit before, um, coming here, I've been to places like Vietnam and and other Asian countries. So had experienced Asia and were interested in it. My wife had been to Hong Kong for a couple of days before. Um, I I'd just been love, here for two. I love I love the Australian New Zealand as like our perception of Asia. We're like food's pretty good, you know. <laughs> yeah, done that. We can eat that. Get on with the people. They ride motorbikes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> and they're prepared to have fun most of the time. Yeah, yeah, but you just, what I love is you get to places like this, maybe less so Hong Kong, but certainly places like Vietnam, and every day you see something and you're like, what's going on? Well, Hong Kong's that, isn't it? It it is to an extent, for sure. It's just an amazing variety because where I live in a rural village, well, where I now live in a rural village, (laughs) before I lived in a place, you could only see the roof of two other buildings, and you saying, hang on, you're in Hong Kong? This is in Lantau this Island? This is in Lantau. So behind Ark Eden, if people have heard of that uh, outdoor education group, we were living beyond them, and most people don't realise there's a beyond up that valley. Uh, we were taking water from the stream because the government water pipe didn't go that far. We were the end of the telephone line. 
which meant the copper wire for internet just flaked out in every lightning storm because of the surge up the electricity. Nah. And I never knew that fluorescent tubes could glow when there's lightning around. And so we learned a lot living in the bush there. And then you jump on the ferry and you come into Hong Kong and you're just going... Yeah, within like 25 minutes, you're like, whoa. Exactly. Mantel's such an... It's such a strange concept. Like, there's Disneyland. It has Disneyland on it. Yep. It has an airport, basically, on it. It has some really... I don't want to call them commercial beaches, but very, very busy beaches. But then it's just like the tallest peak in Hong Kong. Almost. And then it has cows. But then, yeah, yeah, there's, there's... I remember I was on the beach there... And a, what do you call it? A buffalo? Like, what do you call like it? A buffalo, uh, yeah. Probably a buffalo. It could have been a brown cow. Just like other. stumbled onto the beach. And there's people there sunbathing. And this girl's checking her phone and everything. She doesn't realize this cow's about to lick her head. Yeah. And she well, just looked up. And, was, and I'm like, exactly. what is this place? Like, it's a, I feel like Hong Kong is a jungle pretending to be a city. Yeah. Oh, it definitely is. Uh, and nature-wise, it is a huge hotspot. Um, it's been really cool over the last couple of years is this project um, uh, called City Nature Challenge, and it uses the app iNaturalist. And basically, cities around the world compete to who can get the most observations, most species, and um, most participants. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong comes in second again this year. Wow. Um, you know, like, I'm going to get the numbers wrong here, uh, but I think it was... 3,000 different species were observed. You know, bugs, trees, fish, that type of thing. It is incredibly jungle-like because we're at that transition between the cooler north and the the tropics. You know why someone like myself who lives here did not know all that information about homecoming second for that? It's because it was came, it came in second. You <laughs> <laughs> came in second. I don't no want to talk about this. No one mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, with, this is a shame. It is, especially as a Kiwi coming in after Cape Town. It's yeah. uh, it's hard to mention it, but at least yeah. because New Zealand and bugs comes in, people think in New Zealand for nature. Yeah, we're way down the list for our cities because we don't have as much variety yeah. in such a little. Yeah, you, oh, have, you, you have the basic amazing, nature mix, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Satisfy the basic person nature requirement. Uh, now, you've mentioned in, an, uh, in another interview that, you know, in the work you've done leading up to now, you've seen some of the worst, the best and the worst of sustainability. Where was the worst that you saw? I mean, anywhere, the worst, in, the wor- in, anywhere the, in the world. The worst is what you can't see. And uh, as part of this, and I'm talking from its perspective, the worst pollution you come across is in people's minds. And you can't see that... Um, what they're thinking, what think they're right. You go down the beach and you can prickly pick up the brand and go know who you go to talk to. When you're trying to connect people into the topic, it's like, what's going to get them interested in this? And what's the piece of rubbish that they're holding on to that they think is the right thing? It's like the uh, the turtle that got the, the straw in its nose, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was so funny how, to me, that like so represents the world as it is now, is that how, and I mean, images have always been important, but now like a 30-second video can transform how such a huge proportion of the population feel about straws. Yep. And that's been um, the fun of what are those triggers to get people to move and the... And so you just, that's the worst you've seen in working in sustainability. Well, it's the problem of not being able to change someone's thinking about uh, why, they, why they might be complaining about something. So like South Lantau, we were trying to have the incinerator next to or on the landfill sites, not on a bit of offshore water where they're building the incinerator here. And you know people who are complaining about the incinerator and you watch them get on the ferry carrying a plastic bag with a plastic cup <laughs> that they threw in the rubbish afterwards. And you're going, do you not see that we need that there because of what you're doing here? 
And yeah. it's that misconnection in the loops that becomes interesting. Well, actually, I, I, I saw you also mention that uh, when you arrived, you were working with Friends of the Earth Hong Kong. Um, and you, you mentioned that you realised people weren't aware of the impact of the choices they made. Yeah, I was surprised. Doing a roadside air pollution project was one of the main things I started with them on, and it was working with corporates. It was a really interesting project because you had three different NGOs doing three parts of the community. Uh, you had uh, uh, Green Power doing uh, the children, uh, WWF doing the general public and friends of the earth were doing the corporates and we had a program going in teaching this is educating people about about you know. roadside pollution right. and you're talking to drivers of vehicles and it was surprising how many of those vehicle drivers didn't realize that there's fumes that come out of the back of a vehicle that actually are bad for health hmm. and you're just going what part of an engine burning something don't you get that there's going to be smoke coming out the back yeah. of it and we have to put filters in place so things like that you go Really? And then you say, well, every time you put a vehicle on the road, you're polluting. And they go, no, we're not. It's like, well, hang on. You've got the emissions that we're thinking of. There's the rubber being um, worn off the tyres. There's the brake pads that are wearing down. Those bits of metal and bits of rubber are just going straight in the road, which is straight washing in the gutter, which is going straight out to sea. I mean, I've never thought of that. Did you? Think yeah. I mean, I knew about the exhaust, but the rest of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, you're right. The tires, all that stuff. Even when I walk, I shouldn't walk now. You know what? I, I should just glide. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> a, a man really like you. Don't you already hover? <laughs> Me? I, in my mind, I do. I'm like, oh. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. rubber shoes or bare feet? Oh, okay. I'll keep the rubber shoes. <laughs> yeah. If I walk my bare feet, people will be like, yeah, let's not go there. So what would you say are the major choices people are making in Hong Kong that, are, uh, that they're unaware of? The impact for would you say oh. it's packaging is, is, partly is that, packaging people like, are, but, but are people unaware of that though i mean it, well, it, they're aware but what are the choice what's the alternative so here's a problem i struggle with is like i have a family i need to buy them food so like i can't not buy stuff wrapped in plastic it isn't uh, maybe i can but i really we, we try to make good choices but it's there's not obvious choices for a lot of the stuff you've got to choose the pack the, yeah. the item that's in the least packaging yeah, not the one with the no crappiest pack. strawberries yeah but <laughs> almost but then you have to remind yourself well the expectation is why am i buying strawberries today here should i be waiting and not having strawberries or are they going to be in season here so it's buying local or something that's kind of in season so that you're food miles food production issues are a big challenge and they have to be taken together because you can have well-produced food made in another country shipped quite effectively on a boat. But if you're, uh, what was the example? Oh, when the volcano eruption in Iceland or wherever it was a couple of years ago, I realised that the vegetarian sausages at our local cafe were air freighted in. And you're just going, <laughs> the freaking sausages, they can stay frozen for decades. Yeah. They don't need high-speed polluting transport. And you just... It's a supply chain challenge that I think here. Everything's available, so we don't think about not having it. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing for me that I've boycotted, I don't go to uh, local bakeries anymore now because every piece of bread or cake you get, they give you a little plastic bag for it. And I just don't understand the concept. Like, why every single piece? Like, they won't put it all in one bag. It has to be every, like, one slice of pound cake, one bag. One little, little uh, raisin bun, one bag. I'm like, I'm not eating it now. They're like, no, because you don't want to cross-contaminate. I'm like, it's your food. 
It was, it was your own bakery items. How are you not trusting your own stuff? And so they do that. Uh, I think food items is one that we overpackage. Yeah. Like the, the fruits at uh, supermarkets. If you see like the yeah, we apples are just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. If the apples are just sitting over there, you're like, oh, this is not packaged. You know, someone that might touch that. This is like plastic sealed. So I'm going to go with this one. Yeah. Because right. it's perceived that somewhere back along the supply chain, someone wasn't. Exactly. Dirty, contaminating something and it's been washed nicely. Yeah. Well, that's uh, interesting because I, I don't know, again, I haven't been in Hong Kong that long, but like in mainland China, certainly when you go outside of the major cities, whenever you go into a restaurant, the, you know that the... Oh, the cutlery? You, well, you know that the crockery and everything is ready to be used when it has a plastic seal on it. Like they'll, they'll seal everything, they'll wash it and seal it. Yep. And it's so funny, I remember doing it one time, there was literally a cockroach inside the seal... But it's just that <laughs> perception of like, oh, I've, I've broken plastic. It's clean. Yeah. And, and depending on where you are, that can be offered at like a central washing location. So when you start looking at it, you go, well, the effectiveness of the water use, the energy use, that cleaning all happening in a central place coming. And then you still got the transport bringing it out compared to someone with a tap running at the back of a shop wasting yeah. water when we're such a water scarce part of the world here. Uh, Are they water scarce in Hong Kong? Uh, we import only 70% of our water. Import seven, But from mainland China? Yeah, we still import it. There's yeah, a contract. It's, it's not ours. It's, it's not yeah. ours. We don't, we Same use country more. though, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> debating that part. What I'm saying though is in our region, we use, flip that around, way more than what we get here in this and so we're reliant on it somewhere else. Same is, as the is that a failure to utilize the water that's here? Because there's a lot of water here. There is and there's a, there isn't because, as we know, we're just going into the wet season now. So we've just had how many? Four or five months of practically no rain. That's a lot of water to be stored. And that's the challenge. We don't have the big storage. So we get a bucket load of water coming down the wrong times that we can't keep for the rest of the time uh, in that space. So it just is a good reminder that uh, every time you recycle a sheet of A4 paper, you're actually saving about 10 litres of water. What? Wow. Now that's a number I can wrap my head around. This is why I don't write new material. Because I don't want to waste paper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, let's avoid that joke. I'm just going to leave yeah, it. I'm recycling my material and I'm saving 10 liters of water exactly, every joke. Yeah. You see that drink in your hand? It's because of me. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that water for that beer. You know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Paper. <laughs> we, we got but it's interesting that uh, that is it. Because by the time you take in the manufacturing process, the growing process, all of that, it's somewhere between four liters of water for a very well recycled um, piece of paper, right the way up to 15 or so liters for just a really bad factory. So I would like all our uh, audience members who are like in the legal profession who write these unnecessary long contracts on A4 paper that were sent to us to review and then to go back and adjust and reprint and send to us to review again to really rethink what you're doing to us. It's well, we'll take that a little bit further. Why yeah. does the legal profession have a larger sheet of paper than A4 and call it legal paper? They could just use <laughs> A4 and save whatever, <laughs> 10 or 20% across the top. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire from comedy. <laughs> you took it over. I feel like they're no, pin- I'm not doing comedy. I'm just thinking... That's the thing. Like, even in Hong Kong, right? when you work with corporate environments over here, basically the idea... Because again, it, it's also a mental thing of like, well, it's not my paper. It's a company's paper. And honestly, nothing brings you more joy than spending someone else's money. When you're in the office and you're printing your own personal stuff on company paper, you're like, this is the best. I'm going to print some more of this. 
I don't know why. I just, I just wanna... you know, print stuff out and shred it, you know. Just exactly. For the fun of it. <laughs> yeah, because I want to help recycle the environment. You know, I'm like, I just need to look like I'm busy in the office. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So well, that's why going to the photocopy is a good thing. Isn't yeah. It? Something, <laughs> something I need something another copy of my hands. Um, <laughs> so how does Hong Kong score for sustainability? In some ways, really well. And I don't know if you're you're thinking about it. Transportation. You know, can is, that's, that's good. That's good because look at look at the MTR train. You know, if it, the whole city that I came from, in my little village of Edgecombe, goes past on every MTR train, even during COVID. You know, there's what two thousand people shifted like that. The the benefits of a compact living over a transport hub for land use means that we're lucky that we still have thirty percent of our land area in Hong Kong is country parks. Now, there's not many countries in the world or regions of the world that claim that. The other 40% that's called agriculture, well, that gets a bit blurry because that's kind of shipping containers and cars and a whole lot of other crap stored on that agricultural land. But then we pretty much live in 30% of the land and we can get around very quickly and efficiently. And that's one of the big challenges for a country, say, like New Zealand, where we've got 5 million people spread across the area of Japan. Crazy, so right? that's, yeah. that's where we do well. So how do we keep doing that well? Well, the next step is, well, let's make sure our electricity for that transport is produced effectively. Um, that, that would be the key thing that we're doing well. Overall, doing a lot better. Stock exchange listing requirements have actually helped the companies that need to report to the stock exchange think about this topic as sustaining a lot more. And so over the last couple of years, they're having to not just write a nice report, but actually write something meaningful and follow up on that. So, Who uh, enforces that, though? Uh, it's a rule of, don't, I'm not a finance side of things, we should better get the other people in that know that side, but basically, when you put in your report, there's got to be sections in the report that state certain things, well, and they have to say what they're doing, it's um, comply or explain is the policy. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's that the, the uh, securities exchange just requires them to say it, and then investors are able to look at it. Yep, and that's it, and then the investors can see whether it's happening, and this is where the the green finance uh, focused people are going to be following up at those uh, shareholder meetings saying, you said last year and the year before, but we still haven't seen that change. So that's the external pressure coming. Ironically, I mean, like adding that little requirement in the report requires another sheet of paper printed in the report, which is uh, probably going to go against. The good news is they do re- require less hard copy versions or <laughs> accepting some electronic versions. Now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, let's say... There's yeah. plenty of opportunities we know with the Hong Kong government tick boxing service yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to oh, reduce the number of pieces of paper yeah. that have tick boxes on. Yeah. So that's an area the government could do. A that's bit another more, thing. Is be be this yeah. IT. I like to also talk to talk to my bank that I use. They won't. Hang you know, on, they, you talk to your bank? No, no, no I don't talk to my bank. He just it, yells at the yeah, window. Yeah, like, money. Okay. <laughs> no, because like again, they'll send you stuff like, do you want to borrow money and everything by paper mail? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You can turn that off, I think. I, I, Good I luck. <laughs> I, I really tried. I, I really I went to the bank. I don't want this. Can't stuff you do it on on your internet like through the internet no. interface? The the what the, the e statements you got to pay to get a paper copy. But all these hey, do you want to borrow some money? They'll send you like in your paper <laughs> mail. I'm like why. Like, I don't understand. So, I think I believe it was Tom Cotter had this really good joke where he's like, why are you sending me a paper statement to tell me I have less money in my account than the stamp on the statement costs? 
you know, so it cost them like a $2 to send me a, a statement to yeah, say I had less than two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the point of that? You know, so, and, and that, that's another thing as well, that a lot of corporate environments, because they kind of weigh in the idea of like, well, we're going to send this out because it's more effective and they receive it in paper form versus us just sending out an e-statement. Like, how do you see that when the marketing team says, well, I, we have no choice. This is the only effective way to get this job done. Well, again, how are they measuring their effectiveness? And that comes back to how do we measure how we're doing well sustainably. So, yeah. you know, what is the measure based on? Is it the number of paper copies returned that they're measuring, not yeah. the number of sign-ups based on a bit of communication? Yeah, because so, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, where else, talking about banks, where else in the world have we come up with EPDF checks? I mean, oh, what's, yeah. You know, yeah, like, well, we, yeah. Is this whole concept of we take a paper thing and just make it into an image, and now we're advanced. It's like, hang yeah. on a second. No, you That's haven't changed the system. Yeah. We need the faster payments. We need the easier um, options, which are coming now yeah, in the yeah, banking yeah. system. But the banking system here is super backwards when it comes to payments. I was in mainland China before, and they are, no questions, so far ahead of the curve. It's just insane. Totally, yeah. I'd never take a wallet out. In mainland China, it just everything works straight through the phone. Yeah, without having to think about it. Um, well, what about uh, what about Hong Kong's system for dealing with uh, municipal solid waste? Well, it's super efficient at getting it f- out of sight. That's what. <laughs> <doing. Super laughs> that's I mean, so Hong Kong, man. Yeah, it is, and, and that's what happens. We put it somewhere, and we've got thousands of people. I can't remember the number. Thousands of people sweeping, gathering, moving stuff instantly. Until you look at the recycling bins. It sounds like everyone's emotional well-being. It's the same deal. It's like, we're really good at putting it away. Don't want to deal with it. Don't look under the rug. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. Like, that's like every comedian's biography. It's like, oh, I'm fine. I yeah. put it away. I'm on stage. He's hey, okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Life is good. Enjoy my set. And then you yeah. step out around the back door of a place and you notice it all piled up and all the stuff not being dealt with. Yeah. So we don't sort our waste. It goes straight to landfill, basically. Most of our... At all? Well, if it's in the rubbish, the only people that'll sort it, and I'm meaning rubbish rather than the recycling bins, in the rubbish, it's only going to be a cleaner that wants to add to their... Um, Collection of uh, stuff. Their, their celery. Uh, uh, that'll maybe pull the cans out, the aluminium cans. Otherwise, does, does that help? Because they can sell it, it does, right? yeah. It gives them money. Uh, it... Slightly Not reduces the volume of waste going to landfill and being transported. But we don't have uh, here what I would have thought for a forward-thinking uh, city with plenty of money to build on infrastructure, what's called a materials recovery facility, which basically is cool gadgets that are magnets and scanners and lights and lasers and things like that that can sort paper from metal, different types of plastic into different colours, and it comes out beautifully sorted and you still get some rubbish. And that way we would actually get high value material to be able to recycle. At the moment, we put it into a three color bin, a few poor people on a conveyor belt basically watch stuff go past and try and identify whether something that I'm holding up is clear and is that a number one PET or is that a number seven PLA or too late, it's gone past me. So our recycling- Which is what they have now. Yeah. Our recycling system could be upgraded heaps to make a big difference. And hopefully that's that's where the government thinking is going because they've started recently talking about this plastic bottle producer responsibility scheme, which is similar to the glass bottles. I mean, most of our glass bottles uh, are getting collected now because they've set up a good good scheme. They all used to just go to landfill 
all those wine bottles and beer bottles not being refilled. Is there any scope to go back to the landfill and try to, you know, go back and do this process? Yeah, there's landfill mining um, is, is something that's going in. And of it course sounds like a fun gig. Yeah, well, <laughs> just remember that most landfills are actually like entombments. So it's not anything's not degrading in there. They're basically just dry areas that things don't break down. So you can go and find lettuces that are still there 10 years later and if it's done well. Yeah. Uh, but what they're looking in landfill mining is more at the the coppers and the gold and the metals in there rather than the plastics and that because of the value. There's more gold per square metre in a landfill than a lot of the gold mines. <laughs> that is unbelievable. All right, I need every Hong Kong person to hear that. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think what a perfect way to get Chinese yeah. people motivated yeah. about recycling. Like every year. <laughs> There's gold in there. Exactly. It's like <laughs> gold in them there hills. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, exactly. There's every gold wedding. in them fills. Yeah. yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> Just imagine like the, the whole wedding process, the banquet, you go on your knees and like serve the tea to the grandmom and all that stuff. And you're like, all right, go get the gold now. Go out there and like you drive to the gold area, digging gold in your in your wedding outfits and everything. I think that really <laughs> <the problem. laughs> well, there's quite a few of the old uh, landfill sites that they've been looking for. Where are they? Are they in Hong Kong? The landfill sites? Well, With the you gold? mean the current ones or the old ones? Could I get the Any? precise address, please? I may I may know someone who might who might be interested. I in think this. it's in. It's uh, called Scent and Wind. <laughs> we used to have Lent, but that's all uh, <laughs> different. Uh, northeast. Uh, uh, of Hong yeah, Kong? Of Hong Kong is the one near... Near the Geo Park? Are you part of the Geo Park? It is? Is it really? Not quite. It's a little bit back. It's more like the Fan... What's up there? Fan Ling. Fan Ling. Oh. Area. And then the other one's over beyond Tun Moon. Uh, the biggest one there. So it's massive. But out there, don't worry. Have you heard of Tea Park? Which is where they take the sludge left over from the sewerage and actually convert that into energy to make um, electricity. From Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, when you go to the toilet, it goes down the pipe, it ends up at the sewage system. They put a whole lot of chemicals in there to kill everything because we only do primary treatment rather than secondary treatment. So it kills all the bugs. All those bugs drop to the bottom of the tank and then that sludge is collected and taken off out to this new facility out past uh, the electricity power stations at Black Point to this place called Tea Park. And with some of the extra heat, you can go and swim in a nice spa pool there. They have a heated pool from the energy. With so the bugs? You, no, that's the clean water, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that word hope is really yeah. carrying that but hole. Hang on, I've just done bugs a disservice then. Because not all ba- bugs are bad, remember. I, yeah. This is when we need the biologist in the room. You know, how <laughs> yeah. many bugs make up our body? Uh, you know, we need a lot of bugs to stay alive. So. Yeah. Bugs aren't yeah, bad. I'm not rushing to swim in toilet water, though, to figure that out, though. I'm just stick with <laughs> yeah. the bugs that I have for now. <laughs> Fair enough. And but there's definitely bugs in your toilet water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, okay, so the, you were saying that tea park, right, where the toilet sewage thing is. Yep. I'm just curious, just out of uh, what, what, what's more energy efficient, diarrhea or like healthy stool? Because I will, I will change my diet if necessary to save the planet. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really interesting question because. One of the other interesting things while we're on this topic is that Hong Kong uses a lot of seawater to flush our toilets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just fresh water. Found so that out the hard way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> when they turned off the pipes at home, you yeah, I was like, like this, this is, is a salty mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why was your head there? Place? I'm thinking, uh, and so that, that's kind of good because it saves some fresh water. But then back to your question, our sewage system is designed on a, a liquid flowing along a pipe so it has to be broken down into a liquid to get along those pipes so maybe you can um, 
Okay, so I guess... Like, work the diarrhea the, might be the better option. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? The paradox here is, though, he's cutting back on his fibre because he's not eating the bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the bakeries. <laughs> to I'm save on the paper in the bakery. Yeah, so what's exactly, more important yeah. here? His diarrhea or the... Got it all, all in my head, man. I know what I'm doing over here. <laughs> but you're on the perfect right there. And it, sustainability is about going around and going, hang on a second, I've forgotten about that key point that I thought about before. And you just keep on circling around and hopefully... You're getting to a... Hopefully you eventually go down, down the drain. The <laughs> <laughs> it's like the reincarnation of sustainability, man. Just keep putting it in, eat this stuff, put it in, eat that stuff. Okay, that's good. So now I know. If I ever get diarrhea, I'm like, thank you. you know. It just depends on how much paper you use. Yeah, afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, good point. Hmm. So are you using the water nozzle or the paper roll? You know? Depends on my mood. Yeah. <laughs> what do you hope... You know, what, what if you could get a one uh, billboard out to the people of Hong Kong? What do you hope they know about? You know, their their impact. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, the impact is just ask the question: when you're buying something or when you're purchasing something, is there a better option? And that's the one. Don't take the cheapest option. Is there a better option? And don't go buy the immediate price that we pay for something but what does the uh, overall cost of producing that compared to the price you're paying and if it seems like a really cheap deal it probably is not a good one for us all and that's where you kind of go back along and talk about how do you know whatever we're drinking where's it come from how was it packaged any of those questions are going to help the supply chain people realise that they've got to change and that'll get back to the producers. So Hong Kong, we're good at consuming, so let's just make sure we don't only go for price. It might be... And I, am I right in saying that Hong Kong, because of you know, the nature of the city, it's, it's, it's almost inevitable that it's going to bring in so much of what it consumes? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's city living in anywhere in the world. Uh, we haven't cracked it yet. People are starting to try and do a lot more of that. But we're, because we're also on an island, though, it's got to get on a ship mostly or yep. on a tra- you know, maybe on a train is better. Trains a lot better. Ships are quite good. It's just that most ships can't get to the shop close enough. So you might say we still need <laughs> trucks throw and trains. Yeah. Which is my idea of like the MTR. Doesn't it shut at one o'clock? The MTR, yeah. Around Something one. around that. Yeah. And then from one to five, why don't we just use that for transporting goods? They might be new goods in and waste out. Great system, well connected, move it around, get the big old vehicles off the road. A nice little fragrant MTR for when you <laughs> get yeah, up in the morning. morning. <laughs> like, damn it, he had diarrhea last night. Pulling out the next diarrhea on the one, yeah. island line <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Guys, it's not the MTR that moves the sewerage. It's oh, okay, okay. Point. We're, we're on the wrong pipe here. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it smells like it is. <laughs> yeah, so, that no, that's not fair. That's no, no, no they've done really well, I'd say. I think it's a few astoundingly years ago, clean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's gone wrong with Wan Chai? Because, I mean, that, that used to be the smell when you hit the street level it's gone now it's yeah so disappointing you might say. oh the one chai smell yeah yeah i don't know i think it's basically just the new buildings they probably got like some ventilation system that just sucks it out so they could sell for higher prices they're probably like the developers like we got to get rid of the smell it's a million dollar difference per flat if we don't if we have the smell right and with the power of developers we can do anything in hong kong <laughs> and that's why we need to get them on board with uh doing cool development because outside layers of buildings where you can have food production happening there or cooling and water reuse and things like that. That's where these kind of uh, a city as a living city is going more. It's like what food production can you bring in? And even if that's only 10, 15 or 20%. 
So you mean like the, good. you mean the building surface gardens? Those, those that's what you're yeah, talking or about. Yeah, or put in there's some really cool designs that people have done where you've got. Um, as a land surveyor background training, I really find it frustrating that the building footprint stops and just there's no way to get from this 11th floor across to that 11th floor. Imagine if those were walkways that had roofs that were then vegetables growing or things like that. So you could commute between them, walk between them. There's even designs of having bike paths between buildings going down ramps and things like that. So it's a, just a different way of looking at land ownership and where community spaces and how it's all used. And with modern technology, you can still make these tubes of ownership in a sense, rather than it just being you own the block of land, you can dig down, you can go up. How do we use the side space? But it's also an interesting point because it's notably, especially in this area, a lot of very thin buildings and very, like, I mean, I always say to people, that especially like mid-levels, it feels like a vertical city. It's so weird how you feel like you're moving up and down as much yeah. as you're moving, you know, yeah. across. And being hillside with small thin buildings it's it is as well you know you you always starting to work out well which building can i go into to use the elevator or escalator to go up inside so i can get up the hill yeah and, yeah, yeah. and this is the way that if there was more connections then um you could have different corridors i know this is probably not quite what you're thinking of but i i love when you get off the ferry how you can get all pretty much all the way to queen's road without hitting, oh, hitting the street yeah which is good and a challenge if you want to get off halfway because there's yeah. no way to get across. Well, you got to know is... where to go. It took me ages to figure yeah. out how to get, you know. It's like I, I, highway. I, I wasted so much time trying to figure out how to get to, I, what is it, IFC? What? Oh, yeah, IFC, yeah, yeah. On, just a, go on a dry day type of thing rather than the wet days because they yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. which place you can walk through. And this is all the, the, the challenge people could take on is do we think our city's really that, um, walking pedestrian friendly and just put someone in a wheelchair and try and take them for a spin. Oh, Imagine you've broken your leg and you've got to push a mate around. Then you'll realise what the hassle is for parents pushing a baby. Oh yeah, stroller. Man, oh. strollers are terrible around here. Just, just terrible. Like, there's one lift yeah. way over there at an MTR station and one walkway here or that. So we can do a lot better at improving our flow of people at street and above street level. Getting around mid-levels with the stroller is impossible. Yeah. I think that's actually a very good point because you talked about it in the beginning of the podcast how you uh, you would advise everyone before you eat meat or when you, if you do eat meat to at least like take one life and kind of understand the process. I think that's another thing with uh, wheelchairs is that it's one thing understanding oh, we need ramps, but it's another actually experiencing a date in a wheelchair and you're like, oh, the small details. Like I did a Yeah, like challenge. a lamppost in the middle of a footpath yeah, right exactly. at you, that ramp. Yeah, like, exactly. You're like, how do I get, get you know. This? Yeah. I mean, so, the, the so you're that saying that people need to take someone else's ability to walk away from them before they can understand what it means to be in a wheelchair. Uh, well, you can borrow it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, just Friday night, just set up a few wheelchairs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we are happy to get home. There's definitely yeah. a few people around here that need wheelchairs on a yeah. Friday I'll night. I'll even let you have the motorized ones. Those are pretty cool, right? Oh, that's yeah. a whole different thing because government regulation at the moment, anything electric like that is illegal. Yeah. So this is another thing. Like on some days I'm looking at the guys zooming past me. I'm like, damn, that guy's got a good, like, oh, these stupid feet. Useless. <laughs> get a walk and at this you remember the rubber of his wheels. Ah, ah the brake pads. And Don't the forget the brake pads. At the back, right? Well, it mightn't be electric one, but it's still going out the chimney at the power station somewhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> just one last thing before we get out of here. How's Hong Kong doing? Is it? Do you see in the future that, it, that we're heading in a good direction, or are you concerned about it? 
it's at the moment lost its buzz in terms of creative thinking doing the next step we kind of got comfortable in the kind of buildings we've been doing and the way we're approaching things and it's just that next round of creativity needs to kick in to really uh, get us back to that forward thinking trying to do something new that entrepreneurial spirit that is this place but for our living environment rather than just money making you might say so that's the part that you look around and you just look and going why aren't there solar panels on the top of this walkway this roadway why is this here why aren't we building accommodation above roadways um, more why are we wasting space in this area so is, is just that next step back and go yeah we went from a grid development like you see out at like Chartin or that along the river there go away from the grid development, go back into something that fits and moves with nature and incorporates it so people can get around and then we'll be off as another exciting place to live because a lot of the buildings that are being built at the moment, they're not that exciting. You look at the 50-year-old buildings, they've got wonderful air conditioning systems, natural building shade and all that type of thing. That's where I think we need to take our inspiration from and just learn how to do it in the city space again. Thanks so much for sharing your time today. It's been super interesting. Really appreciate having you on. My pleasure.